0: The MHI Industry Leadership Podcast brings together the solutions, providers, and thought leaders of the materials handling industry to talk about trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices to move the industry forward. Christian Dow is the Executive Vice President of Membership and Industry Leadership at MHI. In each episode, Christian will be talking to the leaders and members of MHI's industry groups. Let's join him now.
1: In today's episode, we will be exploring the fascinating world of simulation and digital twin technology and how it can help increase productivity and quality in the material handling sector. Our guests today are two esteemed members of MHI's Conveyor and Sortation Systems Industry Group. First, we have Damon Thompson, Director of Product Management at Beckhoff Automation, and Dan Barrera, Product Manager for Control X Automation at Bosch Rexroth. Together, Damon and Dan will explore the potential benefits of simulation and digital twin technology for material handling systems and discuss strategies for effectively implementing these technologies in the industry. So join us for an engaging conversation on simulation and digital twin, a means to increase productivity and quality. So welcome, gentlemen. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the Control X division of Bosch Rexroth?
2: Yes. Uh, thank you, Christian. Uh, yes. Yeah, so my name is Dan Barrera, again, a product manager for Bosch Rexroth, specifically on the Control X automation, and that's uh, basically your controls and drives um, portfolio uh, that also includes the uh, solutions, the software solutions that we add on top of it. Personally, I've been in the industry since 2004, specifically on motion. Um, uh, Started with machine tools and then later on, I went into just general automation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say back in 2013, 2014, I started getting into uh, industry 4.0, digitalization, uh, IOT, um, and really how to transform your business into um, an, a smart manufacturing or help you out or consulting as a digital uh, you know, consultant. Uh, so I've actually done a lot of, um, uh, several implementations as an engineer, and I've also done consulting, working for the different companies and just now a Bosch, Rexroth. Uh, again, I'm in the controls uh product management division, but I also, you know, act as a consultant to a lot of our clients from the OEMs, integrators to the uh, end users. So that's just a bit about me.
1: Excellent. Well, welcome. Damon, Thank can you. you tell us a little bit about your background and, and beckhoff
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually joined, started doing industrial automation back in 99. Somewhere along the way, met Christian Dow uh, in the industry in the early 2000s uh for about i don't know the first 12 years of my career built all kinds of different industrial equipment um automated cncs built cncs kind of everything from the hands-on standpoint uh joined back off about 12 13 years ago um, did some advanced applications jumped into the product side um, and currently managing the um the entire product management group and the advanced applications group so advanced applications group is a really interesting group we have that kind of takes away any of the uh, nuances or uh, black boxes, if somebody wanted to come do an application of making sure that the proof of concept, that it actually really is gonna work for the customer. Um, yeah, so this industry is awesome. Seeing the development of this digital twins, the IOT and the way that it's changed recently has been really excited. I think things are moving faster now than they were say in the early 2000s. So it's a cool industry to be in.
1: Excellent. Well, welcome to you as well, Damon. So maybe a little bit of a, a a level start. Can you talk about what simulation and di- digital twin means and, and maybe relate it to material handling?
0: Oh man, that's this is this is a good topic I'm pretty excited about it. There's there is a lot of stuff that around the simulation digital twins and honestly there's several use cases. There's a bunch of different tools and it somewhat depends on what's trying the outcome is trying to be. So I'll give you a couple of examples um You know, simulation can be a very small piece of a larger system. So for example, you know, maybe you have a diverter system and you wanna make sure that that program is is gonna work when you trigger it. So you can simulate that side to say what happens if in certain scenarios. And that's just really taking a very small part of a huge larger system is simulating the PLC code for testing and maybe simulating the motion control and the reaction behind it. Just really small, almost a, a small unit test. Uh, all the way through a very large full system, you know, for example, you know, if not really testing the PLC code, but maybe you want to look at how does the material flow through an entire distribution center um, and make sure that what happens if there's a whole bunch of packages that come through, is there enough that it can separate out or that it doesn't get backed up, um, and that that might not, you know, run the PLC code at that level. It may just be a really top level. Does the flow and the aggregation of systems work? Um, so there's there's different ways of, of doing that. Um, the other one is taking it even one step further and saying, I actually want to put a physics engine behind it and figure out what happens if maybe a, a package is, is very heavy or it's very light and you're doing a mechanical with the physics behind it. So there's definitely different ways or different levels, different use cases for simulation. Um, the digital twin term It's interesting that it kind of gets thrown around and I think there's not a lot of, um, I don't know, people that really have a strong understanding of the definition. And it's also interesting that the automotive industry, the process industry, and generally like material landing industry, there's slightly different definitions actually through those. So depending on who you're talking to, there's different definitions. The digital twin as defined by the, the US Digital Twin Consortium they call it the digital twin. is a virtual representation of a real world entities and processes, synchronized and specific specified frequency and fidelity. who that's really simple, and remember to roll off the top of the you know top of your head the next time somebody asks. But really, what it says is, you know, um, I want to take from the physical side and be able to uh, put a, a virtual representation of that for a few use cases like um, virtual commissioning. Um, Or the other way around, I want to take the physical model once it's running and pull that data back into my virtual environment um, for doing all sorts of other uh, beneficial tasks. So how's that for an intro to what we're going to talk about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dan, do you have anything to add?
2: (laughs) No, I totally, uh, totally agree with uh, Damon in here. I mean, uh, digital twins are, you know, a digital representation of the real system, uh, or line, or even a component coming you know, coming from Bosch, Rexroth, and even um, Backoff, we are component providers. So we offer digital twins of our components, uh, which is the digital representation of it. So OEMs and integrators can do simulation and then um, you know, really explore the system that they're about to build in the virtual world and then provide that to the end users so they can actually do the same. So, yes, it's, uh, I, I totally agree with that um, definition. I think Damon is a lot simpler to say to the description, just a digital image of the components. <laughs> they should actually put that in the in that definition. <laughs> so, but yeah, but definitely agree to that.
1: So, Dan... What is the potential of increasing quality, reducing cost and time in manufacturing by means of digital twin?
2: Wow, so many things that I can say in here. Um, so let me, let me go back to um, Industry 4.0. Um, so Industry 4.0 refers to um, saving costs, uh, reducing time and increasing quality. Well, so how do we do that? We do that by collecting data. Right. So now that we have all this data, we can really do all the analytics and then um, understand what the system is doing, what the production uh, line is doing and really make decisions based on that. And then uh, in some cases, even apply the AI on top of it so it can help us make decisions. So when it comes down to cost reduction, we talk about predictive maintenance, uh, you know, feed the data into a module and it can tell you when uh, the system is about to break so you don't have to go through an unexpected shutdown. So you, you're saving costs, right? And you can also feed the data to an AI so it can help you improve the uh, the, the the production shop floor. Uh, quality improvement, the same things. So now that you got the data, you can actually uh, feed the data to an AI module and then... Um, you know, help you understand how to increase the quality. But also now that you're collecting all this data, you can also even do uh, quality on your products. uh, So really understand how your products are coming out and really do that quality assessment. But on the time savings, this is where we can really specifically talk about digital twins. Again, Damon already defined digital twins. It's just a digital image of your module, component, line, or even factory. You can, yes, digitalize a factory. You can make a digital twin out of it. Um, So the important thing here is that we can use a digital twin to really do a lot of the engineering, uh, a lot of the, I would say, uh, concept testing on the virtual world and really avoid using the machines and the human resources. Yes, you still have a, a human being doing this, Testing, but you're doing it in a virtual world. You're not really utilizing a component. You're not wasting energy and you're minimizing the human uh, interfacing. And the same thing uh, for the uh, OEMs, I'm sorry, for the end users, they can really um, uh, utilize the digital twins to improve their uh, manufacturing process. So let's talk about a little bit more in detail. From the point of view of machine builder. Uh, companies like Beckhoff, Siemens, Lenza, SEW, Bosch, we all provide digital twins as far as I know. We all provide digital twins of our components. And the OEMs and integrators can, use, can, can actually use this to start building the, their, the machine and start doing the concept validation before they even build the machine. And by validating the concept ahead of time, they can actually save costs because it'll minimize the amount of rework and engineering that you have to do right? So it, it, it's definitely a cost savings for the OEM itself. And you can pass these digital twins along the way to do commissioning of a system and training of a system. Now, for the end user, looking at things from their point of view, they actually will take on this uh, digital twins, again, to do the training. But then now they can actually run their lines and then really understand how their lines are running by collecting data and then feed it into the digital twin so they can actually start testing new processes and even, um, I would say, new programs in in the virtual world before even actually applying the new process in the manufacturing shop floor. So they can do a lot of the debugging virtually and then when they're ready, they can apply this new process or new program into the actual line and now they're reducing the amount of interruption that they're doing in the real world. That makes sense, Christian? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So so yeah, so it, it definitely helps digital twins If we can see, they help to save time from the OEM point of view, they can get to the market a lot quicker, they can save an engineering effort and from the end user point of view, they can actually test new processes, not only the training, but they can test new processes in the virtual world before even applying it into the actual line,
0: into the real world.
1: Eamon, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of benefits and use cases. Um, the Dan hit on a lot of those. The number one that I think we get asked about is the virtual commissioning side of things. Um, that's probably the, where people, you know, start. I think, um, and and really, like you said, there's a there's a planning aspect that says, okay, what is this thing going to look like? And that's kind of the proof of concept, you know, like uh, design development. Um, and then usually you're assembling a system and commissioning the system. And as Dan mentioned, if you can take during the development of say the mechanical or the layout of a facility, if you're already testing things like PLC code or upper level um, warehouse execution system software, talking to that PLC, doing simulation of routing packages or um, yeah parcels, uh, that, that can be done while you're ordering materials, especially in today's world where some of the material flow is not getting it overnight. So there's a the long lead times on things. So doing as much as you can up front. Uh, there's also a, a quality gain that happens there. So the more time the software engineers have with the control system, the overall, um, the WS system, uh, the routing system, the more time they have, the more they can test it and they can find bugs before the, the facilities ever commissioned, you know, in the kind of traditional standpoint, um, it would be the equipment's kind of built and you get a few days with the, with a controls engineer, perhaps sitting on the machine trying to work it out. once the facility's built conveyors and things put in, you know, then you're in a very short timeline to try to get it running. There's not a lot of time to, to find and thoroughly test in some cases. so as much as you can compress up front in a virtual standpoint, uh, sort of the better off.
1: Yeah, I'd like to kind of you know pile on a little bit there and maybe kind of dive in a little bit on that on that topic because a lot of material handling equipment now carries very long lead times. And business cases change over those lead times, so maybe Damon, what are your thoughts as to, you know, if a let's say a retailer with an e-commerce, you know, operation is 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 looking for something that is going to be implemented for this peak season, and then all of a sudden, you know, one, it probably won't even be if you ordered material handling equipment right now, and and it's it's currently April, it's probably not going to be here any large scale, you yeah. know, implementation by it'd be ready for November. Right. Yeah. So you're looking at next year and then what if, you know, things change drastically between now and when that equipment is even, even what was forecasted.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, so I, I, that would fall in a little bit towards uh, the planning, you know, maybe even system exp the exp- expansions or, you know, planning itself. So let's say, you know, the different pieces of equipment that you possibly have on on order, um, you could in a simulation or the, the, the virtual world, reorganize that to say, okay, would I need an additional piece to do whatever new layout that I'm doing? Is that going to work together? And so, you know, you could do that. Um, without having to wait for the equipment and then say, okay, now let's try to make this work. You do it up front and say, okay, maybe I got to modify that order up front. Maybe, maybe I have a chance where something hasn't started assembly yet, that I can modify it to what I want. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think in those cases, especially today, like I said, any of the jumping on it uh, quick to do testing layouts, um, those are almost critical at this point with some of the material, how long it takes to get with supply chain.
1: Dan, yeah, any thoughts on the, on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with uh, his comment. I mean, this is supply chain is a big issue, uh, but uh, applying the right planning into it is definitely going to help out, uh, especially with uh, the digital world. Um, let me just say predictive analytics, predictive analytics are going to help, help us out with doing a better planning, especially on the spare parts. If you can predict that a system is about to break, you can actually plan ahead of time uh, and sometimes you can even predict, predict that something is about to break in four months, six months. I mean, it's, it's just depending on how you're applying the model. But these systems are helping us out to really plan to get these parts that we're going to need in the future and to even work on the system ahead of time. So. Definitely uh, with digital tools, uh, we can actually do better planning, which is essential in these current times, especially with the supply chain issues that were happening.
1: So, Damon, can you tell us about the differences and use cases for simulation versus digital twin?
0: Yeah. So uh, we mentioned uh, virtual commissioning and for doing the some of the simulation, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, there's also, so that's on the front side, right? Where we haven't built the equipment yet. We're doing the simulation of the, of the piece of equipment. We can tie that to the PLC program or like the upper level software and simulate the system. Um, then the next one is kind of when you get the piece of hardware in place you still want to take the digital twin or the digital side that you built previous to the equipment being assembled and built, and then tie the real equipment sending data back to the the virtual model and the digital model. And so you sort of can, can you know close the loop. If you're going to make changes to the to the system, you'll do it in a virtual environment to check that those changes work. For maybe you know line balancing or like I mentioned before, system extensions or changing the workflow, test it on the virtual side and then you can push those things into the real physical environment. And then you're still collecting the data from the physical environment back to the virtual environment, closing the loop again. And you can measure whether your real physical implementation of the virtual model was as efficient as you thought it would. Um, did it get implemented as it was in your model? And if not, why is there something in between the, the virtual model and the physical model that didn't quite get matched up? You need to go to the physical model and figure out, hey, I should be getting more throughput, what's going on? Um, so there's really a, a, a solid loop there and that kind of completes the digital twin cycle more than just simulation. Um, Dan mentioned things like training There's another use case so if you have a, a big piece of equipment and you're trying to figure out how to operate this thing, it's hard to have another one on hand to train someone. And especially in you know this industry with peak season and things, it's really hard to put somebody on it and say, well, OK, we're going to train you how to run it. And if things go wrong, it's no big deal because it really is. You're shutting down, you know, getting things flowing. So doing that in a virtual environment is really big. Um, and feeding back some of the data from the physical one, maybe you can feed that in for different scenarios in you know, the vis- virtual environment to train them on, okay, what if, how do I reset these things? How does it, what if this happens? Um, so that's another use case. And yeah, there's a, uh, an interesting application I saw actually uh, material handling that they they simulated kind of the whole warehouse in one software package and had in the software itself just... Here's how the you know package is going to go through and they kind of simulated some switches. And then the the next level of that was that's all good. It runs on my computer, but I don't know that this is actually going to behave this way when we implement the actual system. So they, they tied that back through um, a bunch of PLCs also running in simulation. I think there was like 40 or 50 PLCs running in simulation that each one of the pieces of equipment in the line were tied to. And then when, when they went to put the actual equipment together, they felt very confident that the behavior in these different situations um, was going to handle it. Well, you know, if there was a clog or something fell off or, you know, a, a sensor was blocked too long, things like that, that it was really going to handle it. Um, so there's there's several, several levels of the use case there.
1: Dan, do you have any examples of use cases? Yeah,
2: this, uh, this is really good. Uh, I like the fact that Damon used the word closing the loop uh, and we often use the same word. So for example, for training, let's, let's concentrate on that. So we offer applications, softwares that are specific for simulating a certain, um, I would say system. Let's just talk about a Cartesian system or a conveyor or could be a, 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 a sorter. So we have different simulations uh, that we can use for training, but these simulations are what we call open loop. They don't have any digital twin embedded into it. They don't have any real data embedded into it because they're being used mostly for training, training on how to use and how to operate a system. Okay. They're not being used to optimize the system. Now, when we use the word optimization, that's different. Now that's where we have a package for digital twin. And most companies do too. Most companies out there, they have a simulation package and they got a digital twin package. And mostly in most cases, you get the digital twin package when you're trying to do optimization. Like Damon said, now you're feeding real data into it to really understand how the system is going to behave and do a lot of your testing. And then um, I would say tryouts in the virtual world before feeding it back into the real world. And then again, the whole, the whole goal in here is fine-tune the system. So once you're done with the fine-tuning of the system, then you take the final program or process and implement it back. But again, this would be with the digital twin is a closed loop system where simulation again is more of an open loop and is we normally use it for more of a training and then uh, doing low level simulation of the system behavior, but yeah.
0: So I wanna stay there for a minute and talk through it. I I think this is a really good topic. And I think some people um, they kind of forget that, right. That, that this is one of the benefits, the, you know, they think digital twin and there's a digital model and I can see how that works, but, but it's the optimization, feeding it back and closing the loop that we've been discussing. And like, just like Dan said, that's, uh, I want to go back there because it's really important. Um, I'll give you kind of another example. We had a, uh, kind of a really big, um, equipment supplier in, in this industry that, um, they, they made a sorter and it was a really, really cool sorter. And they dump all kinds of packages and in really high speed, like 15,000 packages a minute, crazy stuff, or an hour crazy stuff. they would sort out these and put in space and put nice gaps in it and then put it on individual conveyor systems. Um, and so in a, in a virtual world, you can write those kind of really crazy algorithms um, as best as you can, but they're not gonna be perfect because you're using kind of simulated data to do it. So what they did was say, okay, we're gonna start with the simulated data. We, we actually put you know tons of packages on this thing. Let's run it, feed that data, take it out, feed back into our model, and then tweak the algorithm, the sorting algorithm over and over. And then kind of, that's an iterative process to go through. And then eventually they could keep the better and better the, the algorithm got, the faster and faster and faster they can run the piece of equipment. And without doing that iterative process to a virtual environment, there's, there's no way, right? I mean, they could have sat in front of the machine on a card table and a laptop for days or weeks trying to tweak things. But it's the the ability to take the data, feed it through, slow it down, see what's going on, how do I make it better, kind of thing, um, and that's that's totally right. Dan mentioned it earlier. The next um, the next phase of this that's that's uh, you know I think Beckhoff and Bosch are both really getting into and really getting customer demands for is being able to do AI with this. So some of those algorithms are getting really complicated, especially at those high speeds. So the, the next phase is, you know, all right, instead of trying to spend days or weeks optimizing this algorithm, what if we collect a ton of data, run it through a machine learning model, and then run that back on the piece of equipment? And, and then it's it's the exact iterative process again. You can take that machine learning model, test it out in the virtual world and say, this seems to do pretty well. Let's take it out to the piece of equipment, you know, collect data, run it and collect data how it's doing, come back and refine it and reiterate it. It's exactly how Alexa works, for example, right? They take everything everybody says to it, they retrain it, and it keeps getting better and better and better. You know, same thing when you're processing packages, you know, we need that iterative process.
1: So both of you as as supplier members, and I'm, I'll start with you, Damon, are you seeing that the... Um that the OEMs, you know, you talked about a sorter manufacturer, that they're learning things from previous installations and previous data sets used, you know, as they install at, you know, multiple sites of certain piece of equipment that they're they're aggregating that data and learning. And so that their simulations and their digital twins are getting better.
0: Oh yeah. So there's uh, you know, the telemetry data, right? Um, they want to get the telemetry data where they can from uh, the distribution centers from the end users uh, some, you know, are better about sharing that kind of info than others, to be honest, to feed it Right. Back. There's
1: a little bit of a who owns the data. Yeah, right there, totally. Right. And is that always the case or is it a little bit as long as the data is not used in reference to the user? I mean, what is what's the kind of the argument there or how do they get around that?
0: Well, we see, we see the multiple. So some, some companies are really good about, you know, like, Hey, that's, that's great. You know, there's nothing really too proprietary here. Sounds good. Um, all the way to the other extreme. That's like, Hey, this is uh this is going to live inside my environment. You know, you're not getting any, you know, even remote access is a very touchy subject, let alone pulling data from it. So um, it's always a, I think a, a customer by customer basis that they can get those things. Sometimes we've seen, you know, okay, then let's do it. If it's all inside your network, let's collect all the data inside your network and we'll actually use some of the tools inside your network again. So they'll put like a a jump server, they call it in the network for the piece of equipment where the OEM can get in and kind of do things within the network over a VPN, but not necessarily pull anything out to do data collection on their side. Um, So it's always a balance. And, uh, and if it makes you feel any better, this industry isn't unique in that (laughs) every industry has the same challenge about, you know, who owns the data? How am I going to get it off-prem? You know, is it only on-prem? All of those are similar conversations everywhere.
1: Well, and the argument a lot of times is that a certain piece of equipment being used a certain way is a, uh, competitive edge, Mm -hmm. That, that. That certain you know a certain configuration or a certain piece of equipment or the way they have their layouts or whatever is a lot of that can be considered competitive edge over the the market.
0: Yeah, and and the other one is uh, that I've heard the argument is you know hey I know I know how many parcels you're packing per hour I know how many things you're you know you're putting through to the ship lane I can see if I have any clue how that facility is laid out I can really see your throughput and what's going on I know how efficient your warehouse is um, or your DC. And so I, you know, some some of the competitors would love to know just, hey, how many times did that proc switch go high and low? So you think it's mundane data, but you know, on the other side, depending on how much you mine it, it might be really worth something. So that's where that's why people get, you know, a little concerned about how much data gets shared out and where it goes. So, yeah, it's uh, that's always a, a tough thing to navigate. It's a negotiation, is what it is, almost every case.
1: Dan? Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is a very touchy subject because uh, people like to um, <clears throat> keep their data secure, but it's really it's, it's really difficult to talk nowadays about having a solution within the four walls. You really need to expose yourself out there. Um, you need to be able to utilize the the cloud and all the. AI and all these digital tools are in the cloud. Uh, So we, we understand that as a company, Bosch does, and I know many other companies do as well. And because of that, we offer two levels of uh, solution. One is at the four walls, within the four walls, and the other one is at the cloud level. If it's at the cloud level, uh, security is very important. And also, being transparent about the data. Where is the data at? Is the data local to your to your country, to your region? Um, is it uh, secure? So, the transparency means a lot, especially if the uh, end user or the OEM really questions about the data. Now whether is the data stays within the four-wall or in the cloud, uh, the transparency is very important, but how do we use this data and why do we use this data? It's really important to stress the fact that the data is being used to do improvement in the planning and also to overcome or to detect faults earlier and to overcome certain bottlenecks. So I think if you make a case in regards to that, you're going to be able to you know, again, uh, tell the customer, uh, the OEMs, the integrators, the end users, the value of having the data outside, but also, again, being able to tell them if you put your data outside in the cloud, this is how secure it's going to be, and this is who has access to it. But if you want to keep it within the four walls, these are your limitations, and this is what the future of your production could be. So, so yes, it's a very touchy subject, and we understand that. That's why to us, it's very important to support. To, to be able to uh, support and provide options to our various customers.
1: So Damon, what are the benefits for creating and maintaining, and I guess really the maintaining over a longer term, uh, you know, a digital twin?
0: Yeah. Um, Oh, so I think we covered a lot of these things as to our conversation.
1: Yeah, but, we did. But um, that, yeah,
0: but yeah I, you know, and I think it doesn't stop. Uh, you know, like you said, once the machine, once the the facility or the machine is commissioned, it doesn't stop with like, hey, cool, high five, let's go. We're always kind of trying to make optimizations first off, and you want to do those. You would hope to do those, especially in a, a facility that's heavily utilized in a virtual environment. So you have to keep, you have to maintain the virtual side to match. The mechanical side the implementation side right because as soon as those are out of sync it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to try to use the virtual side to do expansions or try to say what if i made these changes how would that affect my overall processes if it doesn't match your actual implementation or it doesn't match the physical world um so that's that's one reason you really need to maintain those things over time um and there's a uh, There's another one, there's a new term that's kind of getting more used called servitization. I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing. Mm -mm. Yeah. So this is another one that's kind of getting, um, I don't know, more and more shows up when when people start talking about digital twins. And it really means selling an outcome as a service rather than kind of a one-off sale. Um, And the servitization on the digital side is... Things you would think of like remote monitoring um, and having some visual representation of the process rather than have to be on the floor. I can see what's going on far away. And maybe there's a company that's selling that as a service if you give them enough access, or they, you know, that that digital twin serves as that within your kind of enterprise network. Um, the serviceization could be kind of predictive maintenance as a service from some platform. So also why you want to kind of maintain what it looks like from a, a digital standpoint. Um, and then also, you know, just the overall servicization. Sometimes I talk about operational optimizations as a service where somebody would come in and say, okay, I, let me see what we can do with your process to, to improve performance. And you would much rather them do that in the virtual world than to come in and say, let's move a bunch of equipment around. This is going to be great. You know, you'd love for them to do it up front in a virtual world and then come back and say, okay, this is what we can do. And then you can decide whether you want to spend the time and efforts to actually implement it. So, so yeah, some of the reasons you would want to kind of maintain and create that if they get out of sync with the virtual versus the physical world, it's not a lot of, not a lot of good there. You're just collecting data at that point.
1: Yeah.
2: So virtualization, right? Um, We're touching on several topics when it comes down to virtual um, uh, virtual testing, virtual validation, optimization, digital twins. Uh, I actually like to go back into uh, virtual engineering because it's very important what Damon said. You want to keep a, a sync between the digital world and the real world, right? So let's explore that from the OEM point of view. From the OEM, they're able to utilize this uh, virtual world to transform their engineering development. So you can validate the concept of the machine before you build it, and you can create this concept that will be used later on by the engineering team to do the mechanical, electrical, and software development. So yes, it's very important what Damon is saying. You got to keep the real world and then the virtual world in sync with each other because you know, as we use these digital twins to validate our compsits and our machines before we build them, uh, if we are out of sync, <laughs> we're still going to have the problem at the end when we build the machine. And then the so-called digital twins, as they are in sync with the uh, real machine, they're going to be used as uh, say uh, again we talked about as a training module or an optimization. Module at the end user, and it is funny that you mentioned that, Damon, did the, the service portion of it. I, I've seen um, uh, OEMs and integrators utilizing this as a service uh, tool. So now that they have this digital twin that they, the OEM, I'm sorry, that end users can use for training and optimization, they're actually saying, "Well, you can tap into this tool." on a monthly basis, if you pay for the service. So now if an end user (laughs) wants to validate a new process, uh, let's say, for example, you have a um, material handling system, a labeling system, and you're currently labeling 1500 products per minute, and you want to go higher than that. Um, Let's just say you want to go into 2000, whatever the number happens to be. Um, Now the end user can actually do two things they can actually test the machine in the real world or they can actually uh utilize the the virtual environment to save money and save the human uh, interface however they have to have the digital models to be able to do this uh they might have to do some development on their own but they need essentially the digital models for the machine and then uh, by having the oems provide the service to them Now the end users have to pay for a service to be able to utilize this technology. And I'm seeing that now. (laughs) Funny that you mentioned that. I just had a, a, um, a, um, a speaking event where somebody asked the question, what is the future of digital twins and services in the future? What is that going to be now a service model as well? And then I believe somebody made a comment that says, Yes, that is a service that is offered now by some OEMs. So yes, uh, I think that is the uh, the way to another way to go. But it's something that we're going to be seeing in the future, specifically at the end user level. So funny that you mentioned that. Yeah.
1: Excellent. So Damon, if somebody wanted to get started in in uh, with a simulation or digital twin, what where would you
0: go, or what are the steps to get started? Yeah, no, nah, that's a, not a broad question, so thanks for that, Christian. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, uh, like most uh, answers to every question, so it depends. So, like we said, there are multiple ways of getting started. So, uh, it depends on what you need out of it. What are your hopeful outcome? If you're an OEM and you're testing a single piece of equipment, I mean, the first thing that uh, you might do um, is actually what we call model in the loop. Um, and so you'd say, okay, I take the model of my machine or the piece of equipment and uh, literally just a CAD model and say, I want to be able to move that in, a, in the way that I can test is all the movements going to work is, am I going to collide with something? Does that all make sense? Um, and it's really just sort of model in the loop. You want to add to the model, um, the actual control functionality, right? So you can say, I want to make sure that behind it, um, I'm running the control algorithm to say, does this really work? And then you start getting into software in the loop, but you can test the PLC code or the controller code with the, the actual 3D model uh, to make sure again, that the mov- movements are there, that if I have an issue um, that I'm handling alarms well, and that's that's basically the, the software in the loop and it's a little bit more of a virtual commissioning. Uh, and then you can take it another step further um, and actually do hardware in the loop where you're, you're tying your model of that OEM piece of equipment directly to not simulated PLC, but really a hardware PLC. You can even take that one step further and even simulate the field bus below to make sure that the field bus is actually correct. And then that's kind of a use case on the OEM side. And then, like we said, you can pull that back to look at an entire facility. So the getting started, maybe, well, I would say first identify, what am I trying to get out of this? Am I doing it? Because, you know, the MHI had the coolest podcast with Dan and Damon, who were cool guys or, you know, my really had some business function and that's where you start. Um, and, and then, then looking for the tool sets that can get you there. Cause you know, I would say years ago, five, 10 years ago, when we started talking some of this in industry 4.0, everybody was building tools and figuring it out. I think at the moment, there's a lot of great tools and things connect, um, and there's just a a really great toolbox to do these things. So maybe the second step after identifying what you're trying to get out of it is, you know, look for the right tool set to get get the job done.
1: Dan? Uh,
2: Good question. Um, I'm gonna take it and your answer is right on, Damon. Uh, I love it. Um, Let me take a step back Uh, to build Digital Twins. Uh, we need um, we need data, right? Um, and then, what do we need to collect the data? Well, we need connection. So you were talking about steps. What do we need to do, uh, Christian? So the first thing is we need connection. We need to have systems at the um, within the four walls connected. Now we also talked about data security. So people are concerned about where the data is going. I mean. Uh, hackers are, I mean, are coming in. It's very common now to see in the news a company got hacked. Mm-hmm. So security within the four walls and even out to the cloud is very important. So step number one, connectivity. Second step, add the security layer into it. Third step is start collecting data, right? Now you got that data. Fourth step is the transparency. Now you are able to monitor not only collect the data, but monitoring the data and then do the analytics on top of it. And now you got. Now that you got the data, then now you can start building your digital twins, uh, digital twins with the uh, math data and also the real world data. And now that you got your digital, digital twin uh, built, then now you can attach it to the manufacturing shop floor to start gathering real, real data and then to be able to do the simulation on the virtual world, but you can start grabbing real production data, and then you can also attach it to the MES. By attaching the digital tint to the MES, you can actually now get what the future production requirements are going to be, and you can actually test for that, utilizing the current real data that you're collecting. So these are essential steps that you need to put in place. Again, connectivity, security, transparency and then start feeding that into the into the digital twin. Now that you got all the real data, then you connect it to the MES. So you can actually start testing for the future changes in your production. Now that you got all the stuff in there, you can really go in there and start utilizing the, the full potential of the digital twins and testing things in the real world before you push it down to the uh, I'm sorry, start testing things in the virtual world before you push it down to the real world. That
1: makes sense? Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that was a great kind of point to wrap up on. Do you guys agree?
0: Yeah, I got to, I'll throw another one if that's all right. All right. Well, go ahead. Yeah. So whenever we have conversations, sometimes, you know, you talk to some of the C-suite and they say, yeah, okay, this is going to cost time and resources, you know, know, how how important is this? How impactful is to the business? You know, what are others in the industry doing? You know, are are they following this trend? Um, so we actually, we pull up, uh, it was a Brukner um, uh, survey that they did and they said, how important do you expect simulation driven solutions during design and engineering to be part of your daily workflow six to eight years from now? Um, and this was 2020. So we're already a few years into that 234 people responded and 55% of them said it was critically important to their business and their daily work six to eight years and again we're three years into this so we're pretty much in um, and then the next the next category there um, was 34 percent so that it would be highly important so just to give give kind of a sense of um, you know just from a general survey of the industry uh, they see it as being literally critically important over 55 percent so this is a, it is an important topic although I, you know thanks for the MHI making it important in in the work groups and getting the message out to some of the members.
2: Yeah, I, I agree to that and if I may add a second comment over here at the end, um, we, we, we cover a lot. We, we talked about Industry 4.0, digital twin testing things in the real world, in the virtual environment, the savings uh, that, that, it, you know, that, that, it, that that's gonna represent uh, not only for the OEM but also for the end users. But in reality, uh, the biggest challenge over here that I see is education. Um, you know, and that's something that uh, I'll use as a closing note from my end. Uh, when you mention these big words like virtual engineering, digital twins, simulation, IoT, industry 4.0, a lot of people are actually afraid of implementing this because it's kind of like opening the faucet and seeing the dollar signs flow. And I think one of the biggest things that One of the biggest challenges that we face and is more important to digital twins is the education, the training to the audience. Our audience will be the OEMs, the integrators, and the end users. Really educate them into the benefits. Everything that we talked about right now, how is that going to translate into a benefit and into higher performance, not only for the machines, but also the optimization at the uh, at the manufacturing shop floor. So that to me is one of the biggest challenges. I mean, we talked about cybersecurity, we talked about five G implementation and the cost of it. We talked about the AIs. We talked about all these different things that we have to do. But to me, what we really have to put on top is educating. Thank you for the invitation to this uh, to the to this podcast because this is an important step into educating the audience and to let them know that. Digital twin is not just another big word. There is really a benefit behind that. And a benefit for, again, and I'll say this 20 times, for the OEMs with the so-called virtual engineering, uh, being able to validate your processes and then going to market in a shorter amount of time and being cost effective. And then for the end user, being able to apply this Compses, this digital as to you know apply new processes and being able to just do a switch in a short manner and becoming more efficient and then make actually making your factory smarter so that to me education is the is the, is the key word so thank you very much for putting this together christian and thank you damon for all your input
1: you're welcome So thank you for joining us on this episode of the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. We hope our discussion with Damon Thompson and Dan Barrera from MHI's Conveyors Sortation Systems Industry Group provided valuable insights into the role of simulation and digital twin technology in enhancing productivity and quality of material handling systems. We learned about the potential benefits of these technologies and the importance of effective implementation strategies we also discussed how simulation of digital twin technology can help companies optimize their operations, reduce downtime, and increase overall productivity and quality. We encourage you to continue exploring these latest trends and innovations in material handling by visiting the CSS page at mhi.org C-O-N-V, following our MHI Warehouse Automation blog and LinkedIn page, and staying up to date with our future podcast episodes. Thank you again for joining us. We look forward to bringing you more informative discussions in the future.
0: Thank you for joining the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. Join us next time to learn more about the trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices that are moving the industry forward.